This is the daily lectionary comments for August the 28th. We're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 11, where King Solomon begins turning away from the Lord and things begin falling apart for Israel. And 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to look at uh, now being the time uh, to be reconciled to God and being unequally yoked. 1 Kings chapter 11. Up until now, Solomon has been presented in almost exclusively positive light. We've seen some issues, uh, but the focus hasn't been on those problems. There's been a little bit of talk about uh, Solomon's leniency regarding religious practices and his affection for foreign women. But in 1 Kings chapter 11, we see all of this come to full fruit. Um, this is showing Solomon in his old age. It is showing Solomon after many years of having yoked himself to many foreign women. And that's the first verse. You know, King Solomon loved many <clears throat> foreign women. And it makes the comment that God himself had said concerning foreign women, you shall not intermarriage with them. Pretty much for the same reason that uh, the Israelites were to uh, drive the Canaanites out of Canaan rather than making peace agreements with them or living among them. For the very same reason that they were commanded to do that, they were also commanded not to marry foreign women. This is going to be a snare to them. And it turns out that it's going to be a snare to Solomon also. And by the time he is of old age, he's got hundreds of wives and, and, and concubines and princesses and all of these. And the text says that uh, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And um, there's, there's a couple of refrains. In fact, there's a number of things in this chapter that are going to be refrains going forward. And one of them is that he is characterized in verse 4 as, as not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. We're going to hear that uh, sort of standard applied to kings going forward, whether they did or didn't um, follow uh, in the ways of David, their father. That is, when we're talking about the kings of Judah. Um, the, the other idea is that, uh, uh, and refrain is, that Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That's, um, that's verse 6. That also will be a common refrain of the, of the kings going forward. First and second kings is not primarily a history in the way you and I would think about it. It's, it's a theological history. So it's discussing the kings, but it's discussing the kings and their reigns from the point of view of the kingdom of God and God's attitude. Not just whether their economic programs worked or whether their military exploits were successful or not but rather what God thought of them. And when it goes to as to what God thought of them, it's going to come back to what we have here in Solomon, whether their heart was true to God or not, or whether they followed after other gods, whether they were followed in the ways and walked in the ways of their father, David, or whether they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. These are refrains that are going to be said over and over again. Now, the Lord's judgment was this, that he's going to raise up adversaries against Solomon. But, and, and so there's a, there's a couple of judgments here. Number one is the kingdom is going to be torn away from, from Solomon's, well, from Solomon, yes, but not during his lifetime. It's actually Solomon's son. Rehoboam is going to be Solomon's son. And so 
the Lord says the, the judgment here is rather than having your son and his son and his son sit on the throne, as I promised, the kingdom is going to be torn away from you, Solomon. Your son is not going to sit on the throne. But then there are two adjustments to this. Number one, it's not going to happen during your lifetime. It's going to be your son uh, that I'm going to take the kingdom from. And number two, I'm not going to take the entire kingdom. I'm going to leave one tribe for your son. So Rehoboam is going to continue as king over one tribe, Judah. But the other tribes are going to split off. Now, this is for, well, it's coming up soon. In the next few uh, devotions, we're going to see how this works. But this is a very important part of Israel's history, the civil war that, that divides the northern kingdoms and Judah. That is a judgment. And those two aspects of the judgment, that it won't happen during your lifetime, Solomon, and number two, I'm not going to take the entire kingdom away from, from uh, your son. The point is made that God is going to adjust and so let's say mitigate his judgment against Solomon for one reason, for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. In other words, God made a promise to David and he said that if your son's you know, uh, 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 sin, then I will, I will judge them and I will punish them, but I will not punish them the way I punish Saul and take the kingdom away from you. David, you will always have a, a, uh, a man on the throne. Solomon might not, but you will. And, and so for the sake of David, uh, not all of the, of the um, tribes will be stripped away. Judah will be left. And for the sake of David, Jerusalem will remain uh, uh, under, under the house of David. And for the sake of David, these things will not happen during the life of Solomon, but uh, uh, in, during the reign of his son, um, Rehoboam. Also, uh, if you look at verse 26, we are introduced to a fellow by the name of Jeroboam. Jeroboam is a servant in Solomon's uh, court. We're going to see that he is going to be instrumental in how this uh, split happens. More about Jeroboam uh, going forward. But this chapter sets the stage for how things are going to go going forward. A lot of these refrains we're going to hear over and over and over again. And as a theological commentary on what is right and what is wrong with the kings of Israel and Judah. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 begins with this beautiful exhortation. Remember, last devotion, just yesterday, he, he said that we make our appeal. God is making his appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. That, that is the message of the gospel. And that's how our, our, our last uh, our reading more or less finished. And now he takes this up again in verse 1. He says, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So there is a time that God is offering salvation. And he says, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now the kingdom of God stands open. Now God is offering amnesty to anybody and everybody who calls on the name of the Lord. Now. You don't have tomorrow. You don't have a week from now. You have now. But now, surely, the kingdom of God stands open for all believers. That's what Christ has done. And the appeal now is not just to be reconciled, 
but to be reconciled now. So having said that, then uh, Paul talks a little bit about all that the apostles go through, all that they struggle with, all that they have to endure, all that they do in order to make it as easy as possible, or maybe I should put it another way, not to make it any harder, not to put any stumbling blocks in the way of anybody being reconciled to God and being reconciled to God now. And now then Paul turns in verse 14, he says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It seems to be a a rather um, sudden shift uh, in thought, and perhaps it is, But Paul is concerned because the Corinthians are, shall we say, playing fast and loose. They're listening to people who are importing into the church ideas of the world. They are questioning what Paul is saying. Uh, They are wondering about uh, idols and relationship to idols. And and, and they are um, employing sort of worldly wisdom uh, to the kingdom of God. And Paul is very concerned. So he, he gives a general principle, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. The problem is the yoking. We do have dealings with unbelievers. We can be friends with them. We can do business with them. We can live in their neighborhoods, but we must not be yoked to them. Now, this this passage is oftentimes applied to the idea of marriage between believers and unbelievers, so that a believer should not marry an unbeliever. And that's not really uh, exactly what this passage is talking about, but it does apply in spades to that idea. When you marry somebody, you are definitely yoked to them. You're going where they're going. They're going where you're going. And you are going to influence one another profoundly. And if they're going in a different direction, it is going to make it very difficult for you to go where you want to go. If you're unequally yoked, a believer who is yoked in marriage to an unbeliever has crippled their ability to follow the Lord and put themselves at significant risk because They are putting their spouse, which that's what marriage is, their spouse and their needs uh, and their beliefs uh, as sort of co-equal to their own. And, but a a believer must never confuse uh, the the difference between believers and unbelievers or imagine that somehow or another, we're all really the same. So in marriage, that's obvious, but there are other things that way too. So for example, Uh, You know, many people think that all religion is just sort of the same and it all kind of leads to the same place. And it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something, you know. And the problem with that is that 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 absolutely yokes you with unbelievers. It puts unbelievers and their various ways of unbelief uh, in an equal status with your faith. Well, all faiths are good. My faith is good. Your faith is good. It's just so long as it's sincere. And that means that you are looking at the unbeliever and what they believe and how they do and putting it on a pedestal equal with Jesus. That won't work. So Paul talks about what, what, what is relationship is there between light and darkness and, and what portion does a believer have with an unbeliever? And the answer to those questions is none, none at all. Part of the problem with the, the lodges, for example, is that they have a tendency to, to, to look at all religion as just sort of equally good. And that, that means that a Christian that, is, that buys into that uh, is, is yoking themselves with, with uh, idols and with, with false, falseness. And they are not properly understanding the unique situation that a person in the kingdom of God stands 
We are nothing like an unbeliever when it comes to God. We may be much like them in many other ways, but not when it comes to the eyes of God. So this business of yoking with unbelievers is not just marriage, but but it's in our thinking. It's not appreciating the profound difference that that exists between a believer and unbeliever. And the closer you're walking with and the more regularly you are walking with unbelievers and the way they think, the more you're listening to them, the more you're appreciating and, and, and resonating to what they say, the more you follow their lifestyle, the less you are appreciating that there is something profoundly different between a child of the kingdom and everybody else. And that's why he warns these uh, Corinthians, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Boy, does that apply to us today.